Welcome to the Radio Backyard Fence on this Monday, smack dab in the middle of January, also known as Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And on this edition of Chris Fabry Live, we're stepping into the Wayback Machine. We're going to the archives for a conversation we had four years ago in the fall of 2020 when there was an awful lot of racial tension, struggle, and in the middle of all that, we had a conversation with a man named Dahati Lewis that I felt was really encouraging, particularly for those who want to see reconciliation. And I think that that, as I look at the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I think that was the thrust. That was one of the words that you could put over top of him, reconciliation. And in his famous speech, which you probably have heard uh, today, in the middle of that, he says, I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. So there you have that kind of reconciliation that gives you a relationship with someone who's different. And then he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the fill in the blank. You know what, the content of their character, right? So in the spirit of that message from Dr. King, I want you to hear from Dahadi again from four years ago as he talks about specifically the church and how we can move from agitation when we hear about racial issues and more toward advocacy. What does that mean and how do we do it? you hear straight ahead. This is a recorded broadcast. We're not going to take your calls today. If you hear a, a phone number or dated information, disregard that. I do want to thank our team behind the scenes. Ryan McConaughey, always making me sound better than I deserve. Tricia is our producer doing yeoman work, yo woman work. And you are doing some work too. Thank you for your, your, for your support here in January. As I mentioned, we're right in the middle of the month, right in the middle of our offer to you of an excellent book by Dr. Bill Thrasher. It's titled How to Resurrect a Dead Prayer Life. Don't feel guilty if your prayer life is not what you want it to be. Do something about it. As I was reading today in his book, he's talking, he quotes C.S. Lewis, the prayer preceding all prayers is, may it be the real I who speaks, may it be the real thou that I speak to. So be yourself, and in the middle of being yourself, you realize that there are temptations that you come up against. Temptation, Dr. Thrasher says, is a deceitful invitation to fulfill a legitimate need in a destructive way. Living and praying with integrity involves turning these temptations into conversations with God. Isn't that good? So you, you can take a, the, the temptation that you have and turn it into a conversation that will change the way that your heart is leaning. You'll find out about it when we send you this book, How to Resurrect a Dead Prayer Life. Give a gift of any size. I told you to disregard the phone numbers. You can use this one, one 866 95 Fabry, 866-953-2279, or just go to the website, January. Our guest today is Dahati Lewis, lead pastor of Blueprint Church in Atlanta. He's written Advocates, The Narrow Path to Racial Reconciliation. And I asked Dahati 
to respond to what I'm going to lay out for you here, because in my own heart, I have a fixer heart. If I have a problem with somebody, a conflict, I want to fix it. So when racial tension comes up in the culture, in the church, my fixer heart jumps toward reconciliation. But jumping toward reconciliation is sometimes not an effort to move toward reconciliation. It's an effort to make myself feel more comfortable because I feel uncomfortable. And I asked Dahadi to respond to that. Well, I mean, I think there's so many different layers to the statement, you know, and, you know, whether we're talking about believers and unbelievers, whether we're talking about just simply the tension that we have. This problem is so nuanced, you know, because if we're talking about specifically, we're talking about um, black on blue, you know, and like a lot of what the, the, the tension has stated that has rose up kind of the Black Lives Matter you know, kind of emphasis this year and that leads into other things, then I think that, you know, the first statement is not, you know, racial reconciliation. We don't need to jump there at all. Now, if we're talking about the church, you know, and how we are representing and how we're connecting, I do think that reconciliation, partly because that's Jesus's goal is reconciliation. Now, when you're stating that, like, and, you know, in the book I talk about and kind of give a definition, when I say um, an advocate, I'm talking about someone who is willing to run to the tension of injustice, but run with the heart of reconciliation. And so I think it's really understanding it's like through Christ, God has reconciled us. So that is our identity. We are reconciled. Sin is something that divides us. I think the problem is, is that the aim in which we focus on, when we start talking about things like racial reconciliation or whatever, that, you know, systemic, like, oppression or, you know, and we, we get into this, I think the problem is that too many of us, we're aiming for perfection and we're not aiming for presence. It's a completely different thing. One thing we recognize is that we see sin as simply as a breaking a moral code. But when I think about this idea of sin, is sin is the thing that divides us, it, anything that causes separation. If God has called us that we are love and we shall be known because of our love for one another, and that everything, and that the world knows that you're my disciples because of your love for one another, that is a position, that is a, an identity that the church is not like family, we are family. So anything that brings about division in a family, and, if, and you know, if a person is, and a family is running to a problem, they're running to the problem with the heart to be family, to be reconciled. So I don't think it's the, I don't think it's a problem at all to start with right, um, reconciliation. I think the problem is the means about how we go about accomplishing that. Yes. And, the, and maybe it's the definition, because I, when I see racial, we've talked about racial reconciliation for decades now. Uh, the We equate reconciliation with we don't have any problems. We don't have any disagreements. There are no waves being made. There's nobody that's hurt. There's nobody that's, you know, higher or lower. We're all equal. And when you if uh, go back to the marriage of the, the analogy, you get you get two people married. I don't care how how good you are <laughs> as a person. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have problems, and the problems are there to not pull you further apart, but to unite you because you have to work them out. Right? Yes. 
Yes, and I mean, just like you said, any marriage knows in any premarital counseling or marital counseling, we recognize it's not about if you're going to have problems, it's when you have problems, are you going to fight fair? And I think that's the same with any type of tension. Now, when we recognize that, then you have to recognize it from a, both a personal and a structural vantage point. There's some things that are happening in the way your, our lives are set up that is that is perpetuating the the divide, and there's some personal impact and things that have come that are that you that we're either doing or that we believe or whatever that is also a problem. And so, in in any situation, you deal it will it you deal with it from both a personal and a systemic vantage point, and that's all of life. And so, I think that that's why a lot of times we look at this and we look at the arguments and we's like, okay, we got to address this from structural. No, we got to address this from personal. No, it's not an either or, it's a both and, and that's in all of life. Well, and that's why when you said it's so, it's so nuanced here, there are so many areas and levels of this to deal with. And then, and then you add in the political and the, you know, the election that's coming up and all of the things and the way that people say, well, you got to solve it this way and that way. And then you get the struggle that's inside the church and you can see why this is a, an issue that the enemy wants to use to divide us and get us fighting together about, you know, all the things that we're struggling with. So that's how we're going to start the program today with Dahati Lewis, who's the author of Advocates, The Narrow Path to Racial Reconciliation. Again, our program is recorded from four years ago. You can find out more at the website, chrisfabrylive.org. More with Dahati straight ahead on Moody Radio. I believe with all my heart the Bible is God's Word, and it holds the answers to the conundrums that we face, the struggles that we're going through today, the hurts, the pains, the disappointments. He wants to walk with us through them, and that's what Dahati Lewis has written about in Advocates, The Narrow Path to Racial Reconciliation. And we're going to get into that biblical foundation of what racial reconciliation is. It has not happened for the first time in 2020. It happened in the first century, and we're going to hear about that. But I want to read the very first sentence that you write in the preface to the book. You say, my name is Dahati Lewis. I'm a black man married to a white woman pastoring a diverse church. So you come at this from a unique perspective. Unpack that first sentence for me. I think there's a really important aspect to story, right? And I didn't just come to this from like, hey, this is just an issue that is taking place. No, this is something that has been birthed out of my story. Like I, I grew up, I'm the son of a professional football player, so I know what it's like to have, you know, have wealth. But then as soon as my dad's career was over, we was on welfare. You know, I grew up in a very pro-black family. I have, my mom was in the Black Panther Party. I have cousins in the Nation of Islam. Like to give you perspective, I have one of my aunts, ran for the president of the United States, and she actually got votes. Like, I had another aunt at the last, like, um, Million Man March that she spoke. She was the only woman, African-American woman, who spoke at the Million Man March. So I come from a family of very pro-black and all of that. And so, and then all of a sudden, I get to college, and I fall in love with a white woman. I had to wrestle with my own problems and my own struggles and my own things, and, like, going and wrestling with that in my identity. Am I an Uncle Tom? Am I a sellout? Am I? 
So all of these things go through, and, I, and it's in there. I found my identity in Christ. I understood what it meant to not lose any of my blackness, but at the same time, understanding that I am a, a, a Christian, a Christ follower in, in there. And so I'm not talking about any type of colorblindism or anything, but I've learned who I was in Christ, and I can express it and, and work with that. And so wanted to say that this stuff that's going on is out of my story, and even the book was birthed right after the 2016 election when President Trump got elected and people were like, man, like the news stations can't agree on anything, whether it's Fox, CNN, they can't agree on anything. But that one day they all agreed our country is divided. That is something that kept on going. And at our church, pastoring a church that is a predominantly minority majority, predominantly African-American, where it's about 60, 55, 60% African-American, 30% Anglo, and then 10 to 15% other, what we see is that I have people in our church, after President Trump got elected, I have people in our church that's like, they voted for President Trump. But I also have people in our church that think you're the devil because you voted for President Trump. And so we have all these things like, what do we do? And so this is kind of where the heart, we ran to the tension, but we ran with the heart of reconciliation. And I divided the church and I said, hey, if you voted for Trump, you go on that side. If you didn't, and like, so we did this. We did, these are real life things. Run into the tension. like, there's so many things that we can divide on. If you are Democrat, if you're Republican, if you're black, if you're white. And I just divided them up. And I said, there's so much to divide on, but what makes us united? And we've just been, we ran to the tension. And I did it in a place, in a way that it brought dignity, right, um, to people. I was like, do you see, and tried to paint a picture, why a person would vote for President Trump? Do you see why a person is frustrated because of that, you know, and then and we just were able to talk and have dialogue and people were mad and angry and all of these things, were they, they're real and there were, that, that was a part of our story. And so the book Advocates is really, it's like taking my experience, dipping it in like this, bathing it in the scriptures where you have a very similar issue with Paul and Philemon and Onesimus in the book of Philemon and just walking. So it's very much written in the same way that I wrote Among Wolves, where that was walking through the book of Matthew. This is just looking at the book of Philemon and saying, like, how do we approach this in dealing with hard issues from a biblical imbalanced perspective, understanding that this is stuff that is that I'm doing, that I'm doing, that that is that I'm wrestling with as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a man, that I'm in an everyday kind of situation. Oh, uh, I've got about 50 questions from that, but let me ask you this one. Did anybody leave the church when you did that? When you, because you talk about having the race talks, did anybody say, that's it for me. I got to get out of here. Well, I mean, no one, no one came up and told us, you know, so <laughs> no one did, but there are many people who walked out of the room, right? There's been some people that we have to say, don't go anywhere, stay. Like they, so yes. the conversation got that intense at times. There was many follow-up conversations. Really, if you would just, if you followed Blueprint and you just tracked Blueprint, literally, it was after we did this advocate and after we did kind of this, you know, series and doing this. Immediately after we started doing, an, or I did an emotional series because I, I recognized that this is traumatic for so many people. It's so traumatic, and people can't even talk about it because it's so emotionally stirring. So I was like, we have to deal with our emotions 
and become emotionally more intelligent if we're going to even be able to scratch the surface and address this. And so no one left, but it is it is it was definitely a time. And we did some crazy stuff. Like we would divide the room up in terms of solutions. We and like let's come out with different perspectives. Who believes in colorblind? Who believes in the right. the white conformity model? Who you know? And we would just break it up and. Like talk, we said, hey, let all the whites get together, all the blacks get together. If you're mixed, if you're not white or black, like, and we would just try to look at it from a lot of different angles um, because we wanted to, we wanted to create a safe environment so people can really have an honest conversation around it. And the goal of all of this, and it seems like with your writing and your teaching, and uh, you describe something new that's going on with uh, with YouTube that I want to talk about. The goal of all of this is a mature believer, and is a disciple making process. To st- the, the life means you struggle. If you struggle, you're moving toward life, and struggle is not a bad thing to go through. It means you're alive, and so uh, let's let's struggle together. That's what I see your ministry as. Yeah, and if you recognize the the word Israel, the very essence of Israel, God named His people struggle, right? And the thing is, is that we recognize that we are in two realities, that God is faithful and life is tragic. And we have to navigate through that in that this journey is a struggle to hold on to the faithfulness of God in the midst of the pain of this world. And isn't it true that this is not going to be a one and done, you know, it's not going to be an overnight, we just just do this, you know, just elect so-and-so or not, uh, th- this is a long-standing struggle that we're we're in. Yeah, it is a long a long-standing struggle that we're in. But it doesn't mean that we need to sit in this kind of process. And you know, there's a lot of people right now talking about, hey, we need to just listen. We need to listen. I'm okay with that if we're listening in the way that they talk about the Shema. Right? The Shema, it means that you're listening with the goal of taking action. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you will love him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then you will teach it. Like, you're going to take it and move. So it's sort of like if I were to walk into like my, the garage and somehow the car fell on my wife's leg and she couldn't get out of it. When, and I said, what do you need, honey? I'm listening to her, but I'm listening with the idea of immediately doing action. So I just think that's the heart's posture that we have to take, that we need to, we need to listen, but we need to listen with immediate action, understanding that the struggle is a long-term struggle. Yes. But even in that, there is this struggle of listening in order to fix because I don't like her screams or (laughs) am I really listening in order to help alleviate some of the struggle, the pain that she's in? You know, you, you, you have to look at your own motivation about why you're you're in the garage. Yeah. Amen. And I think and this is the reason why we have to aim for presence and not perfection. And I think that the presence basically is are we willing to tell the truth about what's going on inside and allow the other person to tell the truth and then that, so that we can forge ahead and i think that that's important and it's the difference between hurtful conversations and harmful conversations i tell the church all the time that we are called to speak the truth in love and if i can speak the truth in love to you and you may be hurt but that's not my goal right but i have to speak the truth in love now when the idea of harming, harming, the difference between hurt and harm is that if I'm trying to harm you, 
then my intent is either I don't care whether or not you are hurt or not, or that's my goal. You know, and I think that is the difference between an advocate versus an aggravator. An aggravator doesn't care. The decorator is just like, I don't care. I've just got to get stuff off my chest because I've been bottled up with this. And that, that's just not the most healthy way of going about anything. But if you speak the truth in love with the goal, so you run into the tension but you, you know, of injustice, but you're running with the heart of reconciliation, I think that is a biblical and balanced way to being able to approach that and i.e. raise up disciples. You know, you've just described then what I've seen on social media so much and or friends and and others that I've seen when it seems like uh, this is this is an aggravation this is and not just that making me feel uncomfortable or others it's just kind of getting it out there because of the pain and the hurt and the struggle and what they and the anger too done in a way that that aggravates rather than shows the the heart of an advocate. And I don't know how to get, you know, uh, that takes a certain amount of judgment then to be able to see that. Uh, But as you were describing that, it's like, and I wonder, uh, the, the other question is, how have I been an aggravator or an advocate when I've, you know, responded? Yeah. And I don't think we have to, like, make up or even try to imagine what this type of person looks like. We see it all throughout. There's 13 prophetical books in the Bible. I'm sorry, 17 prophetical books in the Bible. And there's even other places that we can look. God has been raising up prophets um, since the beginning of time, right? And he's raising up men and women. But if you recognize those people who go up and are even disrupting systems, there's a clear call. The call is to repentance, to come back, to see God in a different ways, to change. So it's not about disruption oftentimes is good. We're like, I'm a Protestant because of a disruption, of a protest. So I'm not against protesting at all. But what's the goal of your protest? And that's so an advocate can be a protester, but they're protesting and they're advocating. They're running to the tension, but they're running with a reconciliation. And I think that there is a big difference and distinction between people who are, who don't care about kind of what the Lord is calling us is that, and that is to be reconciled. Yes. And the, I've said this so often and see if you agree with this, but I think that the real hope for our culture, our world is the church, the local church and the, the body of Christ around the world to model this, but we've got a way to go. What do you think? Oh, yes. Yeah, we do have a way to go because the problem is, is that we have aligned ourselves and with the political the political parties and now we have so fought for whether we're pro Trump against Trump whether we're pro Biden or whatever it is like we are so aligned ourselves that even when we hear stuff that grieves us like I've just you know you just heard about the cops being shot in Los Angeles like we go and we justify it or whenever we see kind of a you know um, the next hashtag to take a place. We go and we say, well, we got to find out the facts. And, and I just think that there's, that's a tension. That's a problem that we are more concerned about kind of uh, not, you know, you know, messing up our side or not like, you know, not having internal, putting our business on the streets that keeps us from having honest conversations. But if we would all kind of take on what I call like the Joshua 513, when Joshua was about to go into Jericho and he's met and confronted by the angel and Joshua asked the angel, he says, whose side are you on? You're on my side or 
excuse me, are their side. And he says, I'm not on either side, I'm on the Lord's side. And I think that that is what we have to do as we're approaching, that sometimes we should, you know, I think that the believer needs to sound like a Democrat sometimes. And I think sometimes the believer needs to sound like a Republican. But they don't need to always are officially aligned, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or Libertarian or whatever. Like, we are in Christ. And, you know, and we got to understand is that we got to take all of our views to the Bible because there's no political party. There's no, whether it's male nor female or anything, there's always going to be right. And what we have to do is have a commitment to allow, to say it's not my will, but it's thy will be done. Yes. Okay, so that takes us then to Philemon, and I've got two minutes before we need to take a break. So jump us in. What was the situation in the first century that, that kind of weaves its way through the book? Well, what what you you see about Philemon is that you you're in you have this book first century you have um, Philemon and Onesimus you have Philemon basically a runaway slave um, who is sending back who's being uh, sent back to Onesimus his slave master and so what ends up taking place is that he's converted in prison. Paul, who has this relationship with both of them, he, instead of just kind of sweeping it under the rug and not addressing the issue, Paul says, I'm going to run to this tension, this awkward situation, this injustice, knowing the consequences, the potential consequences. I'm going to run to this injustice, but I'm going to run with the heart of reconciliation. And what, when, the way we're, I'm looking at the book of Philemon is I'm looking at it through the lenses of the Apostle Paul. As he is addressing this situation that has taken place, of two believers in the body of Christ, that one who has seriously offended the other and that it is even punishable by death, he runs to it and says, not only do I want you to receive him as a um, receive him back, I want you to receive him no longer as a slave, but as a brother. And that kind of sets up the whole book. This is a short book, but so powerful of talking about how do we run to the tension of injustice, but run with the heart with of reconciliation. Advocates is written by Dahati Lewis. Find out more at chrisfabrylive.org. This is Chris Fabry live on Moody Radio on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you're enjoying our conversation with Dahati Lewis. There's an anniversary coming up in one week, January 22, 1973. You know what happened back then? The Roe versus Wade decision. I, I did not look forward to that anniversary every year because of the strife and the struggle that, was go, that goes on in the culture, and it still goes on. Even though the Supreme Court struck that down, we are living with the effects of Roe v. Wade today. Did you know that there are men and women living with deep regret about a decision that they made decades ago, maybe months ago? Karenet started their ARC ministry. ARC stands for Recover Abortion Recovery and Care. And wouldn't you know, the director of the program, whose name is Jill, has traveled that same road of regret, and she has used her struggle to help others. Maybe you're struggling with a, an abortion that you were a part of years ago. Go to CareNet, uh, click the green CareNet button at chrisfabrylive.org. You can start your healing journey right there. Or maybe somebody you know is struggling with the lingering emotional pain of abortion. 
It might be life-giving to that person. I know it'll be. Click the green CareNet button at chrisfabrylive.org today. So far, I think the most important thing that Dahati Lewis has said is that phrase, presence, not perfection. He said it a couple of times, but that's what stands out to me. We're looking, if you go through racial reconciliation and you want to go through the narrow path to it, it's not going to be easy, but presence is more important than perfection. There are going to be problems. There are going to be struggles. You're going to say some things that, and feel some things that will be pushed up against by somebody else. And let me let me ask this before we get to back to Philemon. As you look at what's happened since the beginning of the year, Dahati, is there any good news? Is there anything happen happening that shows, hey, this is a ray of light in the midst of this the struggle or the smoke or whatever? Well, I think there what is going on, more people are talking about it. I think the the the, the protest, it forced more people to talk about it. And that's really what a protest does. It forces, whenever you disrupt things, and if you dis- disrupt things for long enough, people are like, okay, you know, at first you just kind of push it on, but now people are talking. And it's also the church. I've seen so many people in the church talk about it. Now, I've seen people talk about it for good. I've seen people talk about it for bad. I've seen people, I've seen it just even expose the church for, you know, in a lot of ways, it exposed our division and it's exposing our blind spots and it's even exposing our just kind of outright disrespect of one another in a lot of ways. And while a lot of people won't think that that's good, but what I do think, I think it's like the church in a lot of ways is waking up and we're like this little toddler now trying to address issues that's been here for centuries now. And what we are just we're so young at really trying to address it in real ways. We're not handling it the right way. But if we stick with it, I do think we will mature. And I think the natural progression is by just getting reps, doing it more often, <laughs> and just being able to do it. So you must do you must do CrossFit or something. What do you do? How do you exercise? <laughs> well, I, I, I I'm too old for CrossFit now, but I do try to do I, I do an over forty workout now. Really? Yes, I, I because I, I CrossFit hurt me too much. Like I tried to do it a couple of times, and I was just like, "Oh, okay." I, I keep hurting myself. So let me <laughs> let me find the over forty club, and I'll, I'll work out in that vein. So I I so agree with what you just said, though that this is this is pushing us to see what really is rather than you know you could look at the church as just this civic thing where everybody gets together and everybody sings the same songs and listen to the sermon and says yeah god's good and the bible's his word and thank you i'll see you next week but that's not the church the church is this living dynamic organism that is generated by God and his spirit. And I, I see a lot of people really struggling with, well, you know, we brought our kids to church and they went to Sunday school and they went to Awana and they did it. And now they're doing something else. And the, the struggle with that is this is what is. And the, the child is not necessarily rejecting the church or the message of the church of uh, Jesus what the child is doing is saying, and eh, work for that doesn't work for me. That what what you have in there. So walking out the back door is not necessarily saying no to God. It's saying no to what we have put in front of our children. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it makes total sense. And I think it's a wake up call. 
And that's really, if you think about the prophets of, of old, they, that's what they're saying. That's what the call to, to repentance is. It's like Jesus' message says, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like, we have to begin with repentance and seeing God in a completely different way. Because that word repentance just simply means to change. And what the prophets would often call people to is to repent. You got to change the way you see God, change the way we're doing things, change. We need to look and we need to see um, things differently. And I think that this has caused, and I think the, the, the younger generation, I think multiple people in the church, they're calling the church to repent. The question is, are we going to respond to this call, to this prophetic call that's happening in our day? Or are we just going to kind of push it to the side? Yes, and move along as if, well, this will all settle down later on uh, for one side. Or on the other side, they're never going to get it. They're, nev- they're never going to understand this. It's just so frustrating. You know, you, you have both of that going on. Uh, and, and there are even people who would say, look, you're bringing up, you're telling us what racial reconciliation is, and you're bringing up a story from the Bible about a slave owner and a slave, and you're saying you know the God condones slavery. Have you gotten that kind of pushback? Yeah, but I mean, uh, very minimal. Because obviously, if you're if you're looking, if you are a student of the Bible, student of the Word, we recognize that the biblical slavery and American slavery are not even, like, on the same stratosphere. Like, this is completely different, you know, in terms of what that looks like. The, or the whole idea of a bondservant, a doulos, that Paul would even say, he says, I am a doulos, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You know, he talks about this. He, we see this in First Peter. We talk about this idea of a doulos, uh, how doulos is up to, to uh, you know, work. Like, if you've been to a third world country, you still see this type of kind of, like, indebted, like, um, in, that, that takes place. Um, and it's not slavery. It's not chattel slavery. You know, what we saw in the United States that's built on making profit and means, or some of it is bet on um, indebted to a house. They are, are in debt, like, in, you're indebted. There's so many different variety of things that was taking place. And a lot of it was a, a doulos was a willing servant. It's someone who is saying, I'm putting myself willingly under you. But yes. again, they still were able to go home. There was a family. There was a house. There was so many other factors. Or they may even lived under that roof or whatever. But it's it was it's like night and day. Like to even compare what we did in America to the Bible is like it's it's like comparing football to another like Orchestra. I mean, it's just not even the same. <laughs> yes, we're not even talking not sports. So, what did you learn then about reconciliation? That narrow road. Really, what you're look learning from is how Paul inserted himself into that relationship, right? Yeah, that's that part of he ran to the tension. Paul could have just act like and just went away, like when he was released out of prison. Fighting was released out of prison. He's like, hey man, just stay away from Onesimus because I don't want. No, he was just like, no, I'm sending you back. And if you, there's a verse in there, he says, I am sending you back. And so he is running to the tension. And I think that that's one of the things that we have to understand. And in the book, I talk about just the difference between like different types of aggravators. There's active, you know, kind of active, there's passive, aggressive, and there's like a variety of different things because 
like if I if we were playing ping pong, you know, and let's just say we were just kind of volleying back and forth. The goal of volleying is not to win. The goal is to keep to get warmed up to keep the ball on the table. But if I if you hit the ball to me and I ran up to the table and I spike it as hard as I can, and it just goes like, man, what's going on? We're just volleying. Why are you hitting it so hard? And then you do it again, I just slam it really hard. You're just like, whoa, this is that's this is way too much for this, right? But then another way that you can aggra- I can aggravate you is that if if you hit the ping pong table and I'm just refusing to play and I just let the ball bounce off the table, he's like, all right, we are playing ping pong, right? And then you hit it again and I just let it bounce off the table. That would also aggravate you, you know. And then the third one is it's kind of that frozen, like I like I really want to play, I really want to get in, but I'm afraid that you may you know talk about me or you may I may seem goofy or I don't I may do it the wrong way, I may trip over my toes, you know, and it, I'm just frozen. And that's really the a fear oriented response that we all know of. It's fight, flight, or freeze. And I think when it comes to us dealing with this type of traumatic situation that has caused caused a rip in our countries from the beginning, that people often respond, especially if you're not healthy and if you're not rooted in Christ, you respond with this over-aggressive slamming, or you say, I'm just not going to play and I just wish this would go away. I don't see color. Or you're like, I want to get in, I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. So what I wrote specifically, the book for, is like for those people who are frozen, like I, I, don't, I don't know, I want to do something, I just don't know what to do. I wanted to give them a framework. I wanted to give them a framework to say, hey, here's how you take your first step. And really, because the heart and the goal is reconciliation. And, but you've got to run to the tension of injustice, but run with the heart for reconciliation. Here's, okay, th- that sets us steps. up, Dahati. That sets us up for the final segment, where I where I rush to the fix, <laughs> where I where I get you to give us some steps. If you are listening and you say that's exactly how I feel, I feel frozen. I I want to do something. I want to be an advocate, but I don't have any idea what to do. And it feels like maybe I've tried this and I, it's been the wrong thing. Well, I want you to listen to our final segment. It's going to be good. Uh, go to chrisfabrylive.org. You'll see more about our guest today in the book, Advocates, The Narrow Path to Racial Reconciliation by Dahati Lewis, chrisfabrylive.org. We can't do what we do without you. Thank you for your support at the Radio Backyard Fence by going to the website, chrisfabrylive.org. We're calling us at 866-95-FABRY. Uh, we have some links to Facebook and Twitter of Dahati Lewis, our guest. And there's a YouTube channel, Where Life Exists, that he has begun and will be continue developing where he deals with some of these real-life issues. And I think it'll be a real encouragement to you, and I know it would to him, if uh, you go there. So just go to chrisfabrylive.org, uh, click through, in the last uh, eight or nine minutes here, what, what are some steps you can take if you feel frozen in moving toward racial reconciliation? One would be, of course, to get a copy of the book and read through that, interact with it. Look at what Dahati is talking about, about first century and Philemon and Onesimus and what Paul did. But in these last few minutes, give me some other ideas. What are some good steps to take, Dahati? Well, I think... If we are going to pursue the narrow road of racial reconciliation, that's when we've got to first recognize that it is a narrow 
road, right? We need to recognize, like, the old adage, like, it's not by any means necessary, but it's by all possible means. God has given us a blueprint. The New Testament is is littered with all type of things of Paul running to the tension of injustice and running with the heart of reconciliation. I chose Philemon, but I could have chose the book of Galatians, Philippians, Romans. These are all marked with divisions that have taken place in that showing how the gospel brings about division. And, you know, in in Romans, it goes as far as to say, be hospitable to one another as Christ has been hospitable hospitable to us. And, like, there's so many. So I would just say, like, go and reread the scriptures with this understanding that there is so much division between Jew, Gentile, slave, and free, male and female. You know, there's so much. So just run to that and understanding and see God's heart for reconciliation. And, you know, and one of the things that I, I, I often tell people is that there's, I, I talk about REP, R-E-P. Um, you know, and it's an acronym to help you kind of navigate through this and, you know, with the idea of reconciliation. And the R that stands for this, it means reflect personally, reflect personally. One of the things that we got to understand is that none of us are coming to any type of situation with an objective or unbiased perspective. We are biased. We are subjective. We have, uh, because our story influences us. I grew up in the Los Angeles, in Los Angeles area. I grew up around LAPD and all these things. And I have had guns pulled on me by cops. Like, I have been, just for being black, I've been pulled over. Like, literally, even as a pastor, it is more times often that I'm asked to get out of the car, you know, on just a routine stopping light, a traffic stop, um, than, than not. You know, and so this is just the normal life. So when I see a police shooting and those things, like, I immediately go back to my story, and I'm just like, oh, my God, yeah, I see that. I, I understand why, you know, people are not, like, they feel fear. Oftentimes, my wife has to pat, in the past, I'm better now, but they have to pat my hand and say, Dad, are you okay? Because there's, there's a, traumatic, a traumatic situation. So I've got to understand that I've got to reflect personally. What we've got to know and recognize is that when I look outside the window, I look at trees. I see cars out there. That's, we, our mind is taught to generalize. When I see trees and cars, when I see that, the thing that we've got to recognize is that that's generalization. If I went in and tried to individualize everything, I would be on sensory overload, right? Yes. But the problem is not generalization. The problem becomes is whenever a generalization becomes bad is where discrimination and racism begins to take place. And so that's where we have to redeem those situations. And we've got to recognize that. And so we have to reflect person. The other one is empathize corporately. Not only do I have a story, other people have a story. So I need to empathize with people's story and I need to sit down and hear people's story. And that's why I was talking about we got to not fight for perfection, but we got to fight for presence. So I got to be able to know my story, but I also got to be able to hear someone else's story and sit down. And there's a story that 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 makes them be the way they are. Like I have, like I said, we have multiple children and out of our children, right? Most of our children, I think all, but like one or two um, are diehard sports fans or athletes. Why? Because since the age of four, I have put things in them to make them do that. So they have a story that made them the way they are. So we need to sit and listen to one another's story and sit down and be able to empathize with one another. The Bible says, Treat others in the same way you want to be treated. In that, you have to first know how you want to be treated. That's reflecting personally. And then you've got to be able to empathize with others and, be, and let them be heard 
That's the empathizing. And then the last one is pursue reconciliation. We have to pursue reconciliation. We've got to run to the tension, but we have to pursue reconciliation. And the reason why is, is because I believe that there's no other option. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And, like, and, and again, reconciliation is about presence, not necessarily perfection. It's not the absence of hardships or the absence of conflict. No, it's being able to speak the truth in love, tell the truth about what's going on inside, and being present. But it's about being connected in relationship. We always say that it's about, it's not religion, but it's relationships. And I often tell people, I say, do you recognize this, that justice is never the only, is never the end. It's always a means to the end. Reconciliation is always the goal, because if you just think about our Christianity, the Bible says that at the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He will be justified. But those without, that have not been reconciled will spend eternity in hell. And I tell people all the time that you could have justice without reconciliation, but you can't have true reconciliation without justice. And justice without reconciliation is what the Bible calls hell. And that is not the goal of a Christianity. The goal of Christianity is that we are reconciled to Christ and to one another. And so by doing those steps and by understanding that i got to first reflect I got to empathize corporally, and then I got to pursue the right reconciliation. All I did was I just t- I just took Matthew chapter seven. He says, "Seek the king." I mean, in Matthew chapter seven, it says, "Treat others in the way you want to be treated." And he talks about the narrow road versus the wide road. This is the narrow road to re- to reconciliation. Whether that's reconciliation with your spouse, with your neighbor, with unbelievers, with in racial tension, God has given us the blueprint. And because this is a, a, this is the American sin, this and money and other things, but this is one that is so visible and so divisive, divisive in our country that it is up for us to be to show the world that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free that in there. And so so I did, I wrote that book, but also through the North American Mission Board, I also wrote a curriculum that I got some pastors and friends together, J.D. Greer, and we got together and we talked about this idea called Undivided. And we've actually did two video Bible study curriculums um, with that as well. So I would say pick that up. And these are all meant to be tools to helping you and a small group of people, you and your church, to walk through these things and like that's my goal is to help people who are frozen to say here's what to do like and so that so my, my heartbeat was, would be that we can eliminate that excuse you know or that reason but we can help you and help provide tools and that's why you know with the where life exists is it simply it's a podcast about disciple making in the public square where we're talking about everyday issues from a biblical and balanced perspective there's a lot in there, Dahati. Thank you, thank you, thank you, especially the presence, not perfection. That's very encouraging. Go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org. You'll see links to Dahati's site, and you can follow him. Uh, Advocates is our featured resource today, The Narrow Path to Racial Reconciliation. Again, go to chrisfabrylive.org. Hope you're encouraged today. Thanks for listening. Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.